sent me an email. He's very active on Twitter. And he sent me an email regarding a tweet that someone had posted. I think I have found it. I will read it to you. It is very short. It is <clears throat> It is three sentences. Being fit is hard. Being overweight is hard. Choose your hard. And we began to talk about that. <clears throat> that life is a series of hard decisions. People think they make easy decisions, but they do not. Life is a series of hard decisions. And so one of the things that I intend to do and that he has done is in the next few months to preach to us more specific ways in which Christians are obligated to make hard decisions. But I just wanted to deal with it this morning rather generally. Let me ask you if you would to go ahead and stand please. It's been my habit for a number of years. I just feel like I want to do something like this at the beginning of every year to just deal with some larger picture kind of issues. Um, Much time, I think if you went back and looked at the history of a lot of time on the first Sunday of the year, I would deal with the authority and the inspiration of the scripture. That, That all that we do is a reflection of the fact that we believe the Bible to be God's word. God has spoken. And faith is a response, the right response to what God said. And so, but this morning, as I said, I wanted to deal with this subject, right? We choose our hard. Life is filled with hard decisions. Genesis chapter 4 will be our text where we will begin this morning. Verse number one, And Adam knew his Eve, his wife. She conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flock, And of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. 
And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And we will stop there. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that we would have great faith in you. That we would endeavor to know what you said because our faith is a reflection of doing what you tell us to do. And so I pray for us not just for this moment but for all the days of our lives that we would have great faith and that we would demonstrate that faith properly in the decisions that we make. Grant to us wisdom to understand your word. Grant to us grace to submit to it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may, of course, be seated. I'm really not trying to be funny. I don't remember much of my experience in high school. I was a terrible student. I was not at all interested in academics of any kind. In vintage 15-year-old fashion, I believed passionately that I was smarter than most adults anyway. And my public high school had a program in which you could get some kind of school credit by working. And so the entire time that I was in high school, which for me was three years, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. I got out of school every day at noon, and I went to work by 1 o'clock, and I was working full-time in high school. I have a diploma somewhere, probably laying in cinders under the fireplace are some report cards from that, but take my word for it, I was not a good student I did no more work than was necessary, all of which to say, I still to this day, apart from the providence of God, do not recall why I remember this moment, but I had a class on sociology, and the teacher's name was Mrs. Morningstar, and she taught us sociology. And I remember nothing about Mrs. Morningstar or sociology. Mrs. Morningstar's son taught shop class. And he was famous in school because one day, as boys are inclined to do, some of them, while he was in the classroom, welded the door shut to the classroom. And so I did not do that. I would have endorsed it probably, but... I did not do that. But that was kind of how I was wired in those days as a, as a reluctant student. But I remember Mrs. Morningstar saying to us, life is about choices. Life is about choices. 
So I'm 15 years old, sitting in a 10th grade sociology class, maybe 16. Life is about choices. I'm an unsafe teenager. My choices pretty much revolved around I'd like to find a girl, I like to drive car fast, I like to listen to loud music. After that, who knows? Fast forward a few years and I'm sitting in a church service in First Baptist of Hammond. I'm now saved in my early 20s. And one Sunday, Pastor Hiles says, life is about choices. He went on to say that one of the secrets of life then is making as few as possible. And what he was getting at is that when we let God make choices, it is generally in our best interest. But I think we all understand, folks, whether consciously or unconsciously, life is about choices. Big choices. Who will I marry? Small choices. Will I have the salad or the cheeseburger? What will I wear? What will I, where will I go? What time will I get up? What time will I go to bed? What will I do? And of course, part and parcel of being a human being is that choices are by nature exclusionary. If I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, that precludes me from being running around on the streets at midnight. And if you get an economics textbook, they will actually have a description of those kinds of scenarios when they talk about opportunity cost. Those things that you give up specifically, item number two on your list of things that you give up when you make a choice. Life is about choices. So with that, let's turn our attention to Genesis 4 and I... The passage isn't all about choices, but it's much about choices. I want to point out a couple of things that are worthwhile to note and probably worthwhile for a sermon all in and of themselves. Cain, of course, is the main character at this point in the story of what we have just read. The biblical assessment of this man is not flattering. And I want to take just a moment and review it with you. His, his name is mentioned 20 times in the text of Scripture, Old Testament and New. 16 of those times are in Genesis 4. So about 75% of his references are regarding this incident and this event. In Joshua chapter 15, he is mentioned in a genealogy. And that leaves three remaining times, all of which are found in the New Testament. Jude 1.11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. 1 John 3.2, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. In Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So Cain is an unbeliever. 
And the conduct that he engages in is described from the perspective of his being an unbeliever. He is out of Satan. 1 John 3.2 Satan is the source of his attitude, his ambitions, his philosophy, his mentality, ultimately his murder. And there is a way of Cain. Jude talks about that. Gone in the way of Cain. There is a lifestyle that unbelievers have and in which they engage. And there is an evidence, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. The visible life that Cain lived was a testimony to the absence of his faith. So let us understand, folks, that the biblical position about Cain is not that he was a good guy or some kind of neutral guy who brought his offering to God and God refused it and it made him mad and he went out and became an unbeliever. But that rather Cain's entire minister existence in the scripture is that of an unbeliever and it's reflected even in the way he brings his offering to God. So with reference then to Genesis chapter 4 in verses 2 through 4. We note that God observes all religious activity. Cain and Abel both brought their offerings to the Lord. God sees everything. I was just talking. You may have seen that Joel and Cheryl Aspen were here this morning. They left after Sunday school to return to their home and he and I were talking, Joel and I talk history and theology and we're just talking briefly about the fact that most of the world and most of its history always had a blatantly theological viewpoint to its life. Wrong, but always blatantly theological. There were many gods. There was one God, but he was the wrong God. But in the Western world, we've persuaded ourselves that there is no religion, that we're just secular. And one of the benefits of being secular is that we can treat God as a non-entity. Because we have science and we don't need God. But God sees everything, even the activity of those that reject him. I have pondered much recently why it is that Cain even bothered bothered to bring an offering to God. Didn't believe in him. And it's staggering, by the way, that Cain could have a conversation with God and still not believe him. But again, the Bible is very clear that it isn't the rejection of the offering that causes Cain's unbelief. It is his unbelief that makes his offering unacceptable. We tend to think that if people could have some kind of a face-to-face meeting with God or conversation, that they would be far more inclined to believe in him. But as always, folks, the Bible really never lets us go there. Cain brought his offering to God. He was not a believer. Cain talked with God. He was not a believer. 
God sees all activity, Genesis 4, 2 through 4. Secondly, God has the exclusive right to accept or reject any offering that he sees. Genesis 4, 4 and 5. He had respect. He looked favorably. He was pleased with the offering that Abel brought. And again, I'm not arguing that there's not something mechanically different between the two offerings. Maybe Cain should have brought blood. Maybe he should have brought the fat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what drove Cain's offering was his unbelief. But the Lord would not look favorably upon Cain's offering. And so again, folks, his gift was defective, 1 John 3.12, because his faith was defective, Hebrews 11.4. Not the other way around. But it is God who gets to decide what is pleasing to him. We do not get to define what is pleasing. This ought to be good enough for God. God gets to define what is good enough for him. And so the God who sees all activity, Cain and Abel bringing their offerings, reserves to himself the exclusive right to accept one or the other, to reject both or none. We just read in Wednesday night, not terribly long ago, 1 Corinthians 4, 3-5, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. God gets to be the one who decides what is acceptable. Thirdly, in gracious mercy, God instructs men about what is necessary to bring an acceptable offering, Genesis 4, 5 through 7. Unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, he was mad, and it showed up on his face, his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? We talked about this when we dealt with this in Sunday school not terribly long ago, folks. The text of Scripture does not allow us to read into it any inherent bias against Cain. And in fact, Paul or Peter will say in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 35, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now this was something that was clearly lost in the Jewish people who very quickly came to believe that because they had the law and the the prophets and the oracles and the covenants, that God liked them regardless of anything else, and that he disliked everybody else, but that is not what the scriptures teach. And before you beat them up too much for thinking that, I would just remind you that it is not at all uncommon in American conservative churches to have that same mentality about America. 
that God likes America better than he likes anybody else. And that the ideal of life is for everybody to be an American. Which has frequently been our foreign policy. We will make you American, whether you want to be or not. And in verse number 7, God points out to Cain. Right, We're just walking through this. God sees all. God has the right to accept or reject. In mercy, God instructs. God gets nothing out of it, folks. He is very clear about this in the Bible. God gets nothing out of it when people do not believe him and he is compelled to judge them for that. He says in the book of Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is not pleasant to him. It is not enjoyable to him. In fact, I think we can make the case, folks, from Genesis 6 as we looked at it this morning, that it is very grievous to him to see men so sinful that they must be judged and to know the horror that awaits them when they are judged. And so in Genesis 4-7, God instructs us that right offerings require right decisions. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If thou doest well, Genesis 4, 7, if you do that which is pleasing, and I would argue that it is clearly being reflected in Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. Right? This is what we've been discussing in Hebrews 11 at this point. Cain and Abel, pre-flood activity. But without faith it is impossible to please him. If thou doest well, if you do that which is pleasing... It will be accepted. And you will, by the way, to go back to this, will you be accepted? You will be lifted up. Just like your face has fallen because I have rejected it, so your face will be lifted up and elevated if it is brought in faith. But if you will not, Genesis 4-7, sin lies at the door waiting to ambush you, and it desires you. Paul will talk in Romans chapter 7 about the way that sin utilizes our sinful ambitions to take advantage of us. But you can, verse number 7, thou shalt rule over him, It is possible for you to be victorious against the enemy that wants to ambush you. And I would just point out at this point, folks, at Genesis 4-7, that you need to bring in all of your other Bible knowledge to the equation. God is not suggesting that Cain has his own power of goodness residing within. That's not what he is saying.
Cain is up against what every unbeliever is up against. Which is on the one hand, the depravity of his own nature. And on the other hand, an external system that is hostile to God that is working against him. Cain's options are twofold. He can believe God and act in faith, or he can disbelieve God and act upon his own authority. This is the choice that all of us face. We should not think that the Bible is offering to us the life of faith is some enjoyable amusement ride. And I just want to pause here for a second, folks, and this is really kind of a side note to the sermon, but you, you do need to understand that, that there is a large body of influence within fundamentalism, old-line fundamentalism in particular. It is reflected in some of the songs we sing that are found in our beloved songbook that present life in Christianity just in that kind of a framework. That if you will just, in one moment of time, one critical moment of time, if you will just yield your life to the Lord, then from that moment on, you will never be blessed and have peace and sweet rest until all on the altar is laid. And who would not like that, folks? Who would not like to have a life that is empty of strife, conflict, agony? But that is not what the Bible really offers to you as a believer. Let me ask you, if you would, to turn to Matthew chapter 16. You know the verse. Just going to Take a moment and have us look at it. Jesus said it as well in Luke 9.23, but let's all look at Matthew 16 and verse number 24. Matthew 16.24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And you notice that there's no specific object mentioned because, well, actually, there is a specific object mentioned. We deny ourselves, that's the object. All who follow Christ are required to deny themselves. And as we learn from Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, what he wants is for us to deny ourselves anything that impedes us from being obedient to what he has for us. So, if I may be so bold as to give just a personal testimony here, an illustration. 
among my many academic weaknesses as a student was my absolute refusal to speak in public ever in any circumstance. I did not like to do it. I did not want to do it. And I made a practice of just refusing to do it. It didn't come up very often. But anytime it did, I just did not do it. There was one time in seventh and eighth grade I couldn't get out of it. But other than that, I just didn't do it. And when the Lord called me into the ministry, one of my biggest obstacles was, I don't want to speak in front of people. And folks, if I could say this, I still don't want to speak in front of people. I never go out of my way to get an opportunity to speak. Never. Never. But if this is what the Lord has for you, then the obligation, folks, is for one to deny oneself. There's just no other way to do it. There's just no other place to be. We are called to make decisions. We are called to make decisions that are involving putting the Lord ahead of our own interests and our own ambitions and our own wills at times. Not all the time. He's not an ogre. But there are times. And the orientation of the life of a believer is to do what he wants for us to do. To go back to Genesis chapter 4. God told him what was necessary in gracious mercy. Here's what you need to do. If you will do this right, I will accept your offering. Do it right. But Cain, of course, would not. And so in verses 8 and 9 and 10, he kills his brother in rage. And in verses 11 through 15 then, again, folks, I would argue in grace and mercy and righteousness, God informs Cain that having rejected God's way brings its own difficulty. Now art thou cursed from the earth. Now, God had already imposed a curse upon the earth. And now Cain is cursed from the earth. It shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. But please note, folks, in Genesis 4.13, that it is simply the consequence of the choices that he made. God did not manipulate Cain. He did not deceive Cain. He did not lie to Cain. He did not hide the truth from Cain. He did not play Cain by showing him one hand and dealing him another. Cain, if you do well, if you are pleasing, I will accept it. Understand the scenario. 
Sin wants to master you. It will ambush you, but you can have the victory. But Cain did not want that victory. Cain killed Abel. And now because the ground cried to God from the blood that was spilt, it refuses to give Cain of its fullness. And he will never have a true home. He will always, although this is the only home he knows, he will always be somewhat alienated. And when Cain cried unfair, God mercifully provided even then a protection. Something that would shield him from the vengeance that he had caused through his own conduct. And then we read, folks, that Cain goes out. This is so ominous. Verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He turned his back on God's face and dwelt in the land of Nod. And if you have a study Bible, he dwelt in the land of the will of the wanderers. He took up his residence with those who were alienated from the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, as the Israelites are preparing after 40 years in the wilderness to enter into the land, God runs them through a very similar scenario He sends two groups of Israelites up onto two mountains and while everybody else is in a valley and they can shout from the mountaintop these instructions. Deuteronomy 28.4 Blessed shall be the fruit of the body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall thy basket and be thy basket in thy store. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods in the fruit of the body and the fruit of thy cattle in the fruit of thy ground in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open the, unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season and to bless all the work of thine hand and thou shalt lend unto many nations and thou shalt not borrow. Blessings for obedience. But the other part of the people were on Mount Ebal And their responsibility was to proclaim the curses. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep. The fruit of thy land and all thy labor shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed alway. Now I would just... Pause here, folks, and take us back to Genesis. The lie that Satan told Adam and Eve was that the power of good and evil was in their hand. You will know. Power of good and evil belongs to you. That's what God's really keeping from you. He's not keeping from you a piece of fruit. He's keeping away from you this power. to decide good and evil. But when they ate the fruit, they didn't get the power, folks. 
They didn't get the power. Power still resides with God. In Deuteronomy 30, and verse number 19, here's the word of the Lord to the Israelites as they're heading into the promised land. I call heaven and earth to record to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. We know this, folks. We know that the right decisions, godly decisions, are often difficult decisions to make. They are at times expensive to your pocketbook. They are at times unpopular with your children and your spouse and your family and your friends. Sometimes they are even dangerous. The book of Acts tells us that the early gospel preachers were men that hazarded their lives for the Lord Jesus. And so often then, disobedience seems to be the easy path. I just won't do it. I just won't do it. But folks, please understand, all you're doing is choosing a different heart. You're not choosing an easy decision. You're just choosing a different hard decision. We live in a society that has persuaded itself that in the absence of any real deity, we get to decide what is right and wrong. We have also persuaded the world that the American ideal of liberty, the freedom to choose, is the pathway to prosperity and happiness. And there are thousands of people at our southern border this day who believe that at some level. Now, I would not die in these statistics, but these are statistics that I have found in recent years from somewhat reputable sources. According to one suicide prevention hotline, in 2020, 1.2 million Americans attempted suicide. Only a fraction, but 5% succeeded. But 1.2 million Americans attempted suicide in 2020. In 2017, an article in the Washington Post, which is far, by the way, from a conservative newspaper, In 2017, the Washington Post ran an article in which the man argued that one in eight Americans, 12.7% of Americans, 
met the criteria at some level to be alcohol abusers. The National Institutes of Health estimates that at some point in time, 10% of all Americans, 10%, over 30 million Americans, will experience some form of drug use disorder. And my wife and I, and we're both sitting in recliners, it's pretty hard to fall out of a recliner, but we almost did, saw a commercial just the other night sponsored by the state of Nebraska, encouraging you to take with you to your party the drugs that would help you if you overdosed on opioids. The state of Nebraska sponsoring this? The 14th, 15th, and 16th most populous, most popular Prescribed drugs in America are antidepressant medications with 70 million prescriptions a year being written for antidepressants in America. And here's just the question. Folks, the idea that choosing Christianity is hard so I just won't do it because that's easier is ludicrous. That's all I'm arguing. The people who choose to do what is right make hard decisions. They are expensive. They are unpopular. They are at times difficult. They are demanding. Right Here we are at the new year. Many people are all ramped up. I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. That's a lot harder than it sounds, isn't it? But not doing it doesn't provide you with a guaranteed easy path. It's just a different kind of difficulty. We live in a cursed world. It's a choice between hard and hard, not hard and easy. Let's pray. Father, grant to us, please, the grace.